Hey everyone, I'm your host Piers Kicks, and welcome back to Metaverse Musings, which is a research-focused podcast that's part of Delphi Digital. We explore the integral components behind what many believe will be the internet's successor, a virtual extension of the natural world where most of us will eventually live, work and play. To some, it represents our next great milestone as a network species, and to others, it is something to fear. With our guests, we discuss the technology, philosophy and culture behind this brave new world. If you're not yet subscribed to the Delphi Research Portal, then I fear for your soul. You're missing out on the most incisive analysis that the digital asset space has to offer. Seriously, check it out. Nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any security or token or to make any financial decisions. This podcast features sponsors and any ads are not an endorsement by Delphi Digital and are for informational purposes only. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Metaverse Musings. I am delighted to introduce you all today to Mark Donovan, who is the founder and CEO of Epics.gg. Mark, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Pierce. Thanks for having me. Could you kick us off by explaining at a high level what exactly Epics is? Yeah, sure. So Epics is a next generation collectibles platform. Um, so we're focused on really you know, pushing the envelope forward in the collectibles marketplace and also, you know, making collectibles for the collector of tomorrow. Um, the people who are coming up and are fans of, you know, new IPs and video games and esports and and different content than maybe previous generations have been. Awesome. And you founded a, a number of companies before. Can you give us a quick summary of your sort of personal background leading up to this? Sure. Yeah. So I got started on my entrepreneurial journey pretty early uh, when I was in university in, in Montreal. Uh, started playing a bunch of Counter-Strike with some friends of mine and organizing some leagues and ladders and tournaments. Uh, we ended up turning that into some software to make the process easier. Uh, started a company around that and ended up selling it to a group in California in 2009. Uh, and then they asked me to move down to Los Angeles and help them acquire and spin a business out of Viacom called Xfire. So Xfire was the, you know, if you're an OG PC gamer, you might remember Xfire. Uh, it was the largest uh, chat and community platform for gamers for uh, many years on PC. And so I took over product and monetization there and then ended up taking over later as, as president and CEO as well. I uh, did that for a while, and that's actually how I ended up meeting my current business partner, Gavin. Uh, we acquired his business, uh, Joust, got to know each other, and after you know about a year working together there, we decided to jump out and do our own thing. Uh, we brought on a third co-founder named Jared, who uh, started a site called Lolking for League of Legends players who would know it. It was the largest uh, community site for League of Legends players for many years. And so the three of us... Um, built a, a studio where we were essentially building some products in partnership with, uh, you know, large companies who wanted to build products in the esports and game space. And also, you know, we were building some of our own products and incubating them as well. Uh, Epics being one of them. Um, but we ended up getting into, maybe we can just uh, dive into the, the kind of origin story of Epics a little bit, Pierce, if you don't mind. Um, we kind of got into uh, this uh, economy around Counter-Strike uh, and the in-game items around the game. Um, so obviously it's a, it's a game we know pretty well. And we had some friends who had started uh, a website that was a marketplace, a third-party marketplace where people could buy and sell these items for real cash. And their site ended up doing over a billion dollars in marketplace volume a year. And we ended up getting into the niche of, of uh, an auction site for some of the higher end skins in the game. 
And we started to really dig into the collectability of some of these items and what differentiates, obviously, a you know, one of these uh, dragon lore skins, let's just use as an example, that would go for normally $2,500. There are some in the in the game that collectors will pay up to $150,000, $200,000 for just because it has the least scratches uh, of any of the skins in the game. So we got into that whole ecosystem and, and that rabbit hole, and we really just, you know, kind of we're blown away, not that people would spend money on digital items. That's something that we, you know, uh, coming from the game space knew was definitely something that people would do and that we had done. What we were kind of surprised by was the fact that people would spend that much money on digital items that they didn't actually even own. Uh, and we learned that lesson the hard way um, when, you know, Valve would ban some of our bots on us. And we'd lose, you know, uh, $10,000, $20,000 in inventory. Uh, and we'd have absolutely no recourse. Uh, you know, Valve doesn't even answer the, the support emails if you send them uh, around it. So basically, you know, we felt that there was a huge opportunity for, you know, providing real digital ownership over these, you know, in-game items, over collectibles, over things like that. And we thought that it was just really fundamentally going to flip the collectibles and, and really the game industry on its head uh, at some point in the future. And we just really wanted to be involved in it. Awesome. I love to hear it. And, and so what was it exactly that sort of, um, you know, turned your attention to crypto? How did you find out about it? Um, how did you, I guess, figure out and stumble upon that being a good fit for solving the problems you just described? I was really lucky, actually. Um, I just happened to be in a, a group of friends in Los Angeles. Um, you know, my former business partners founded Wax. Um, so, you know, they were early on pioneers in the, uh, you know, uh, digital goods space. Uh, one of my former business partners founded the first company that did World of Warcraft gold farming and then was subsequently really early on in the Bitcoin space. And then I ended up... Uh, randomly kind of uh, sharing an office with the early Tether team uh, as well in uh, Santa Monica. So, you know, I, I just had a group of friends who were very, very early pioneers in the ecosystem. And uh, I, I was just fortunate enough to kind of be around them and, and start to get exposure pretty early on. And then at the same time, really just being in this, uh, you know, this business of in-game items, seeing the problems that were created uh, due to a lack of ownership and really seeing the perfect solution in front of us, which is, you know, a, a distributed uh, blockchain that can actually track ownership and, and provide real, um, you know, uh, agency to people over their digital lives. Awesome. Awesome. I love to hear it. So can you, um, can you talk us through um, some of the different aspects of the Epix ecosystem then? Uh, you know, you've got sort of CSGO stuff going on. You've also got the streamer dimension. Um, it would be awesome if we could get a bit more color on sort of, you know, what the platform does and some of the experiences around it. Absolutely. Yeah. So the platform itself is, um, we think, a, a very robust collectibles platform. It's got everything from the ability to, you know, uh, get packs, open them, um, obviously, you know, you get random cards in them. Um, you can fill out, uh, you know, huge collections for, for each of the, the sets that we launch. You know, we're talking about hundreds of cards, many thousands, uh, over the years that we've made, uh, and basically, 
after that, you can also trade them uh, with all the other fans in the app. You can um, use the integrated marketplace so you can like buy, sell uh, in there as well. And then we also have a, a whole layer of gamification built on top of the app as well. So things like achievements and quests, uh, obviously a lot of our collectors are, are gamers. So they're looking for those types of features uh, to really engage them. We've got card crafting, so you can actually combine uh, different cards according to recipes and build new ones. Uh, so those are really fun for events and things like that as well. And then uh, we also have uh, an integrated uh, game uh, called Rush uh, for our Counter-Strike product, where you can actually build an ultimate team and go head-to-head -head against other players in the game or the computer and compete for rewards and prizes and things like that as well. And that's a really popular um feature in the game we do over a million uh, game sessions a month on that um so players you know really love to use their cards and get some utility out of to go head to head against other people so that's kind of like the the basics of the platform uh we've tried to focus on like i said earlier that you know the ip and the content that the next generation of fans are really getting are interested in so things like esports, uh, we partnered with um, the largest tournament organizer uh, in the world, ESL. We've also partnered uh, recently with uh, Tencent, which is the largest game publisher in the world for their uh, mobile game, PUBG Mobile. Uh, and like you said, we've done uh, some work as well with uh, some of the largest streamers in the world uh, on Twitch TV, guys like uh, Shroud, uh, Tim the Tatman, uh, Ammunition, Dr. Lupo. Uh, so, you know, really kind of focused on that game and uh, uh, esports content. And in the future, you know, we, we got a whole bunch more uh, content in the pipeline uh, as well. Awesome. No, I'd love to hear it. Um, <clears throat> I think it's super cool, all the, you know, different angles of attack you guys have in terms of driving utility to these assets and, you know, the mobile game and whatnot runs uh, runs super smooth. It's super cool to see. Um, I guess um, I'm also interested if we could touch upon uh, Collective, which you guys have been focused on lately, which is, uh, you know, feels very representative of a lot of the, <laughs> the activity that's sort of in the crypto space lately. Um, it would be really cool to, uh, yeah, get a bit of color there. Absolutely. Yeah. So... <clears throat> Collective was really born out of um, a, a goal of ours, which is, you know, we, we've kind of looked at the, the crypto ecosystem. And like I said, I was lucky enough to be um, not necessarily as involved in it as some of my friends were, but certainly around, um, you know, during 2016, 2017, even, you know, kind of seeing how it was evolving earlier than that. And one thing that I felt as a collector was kind of missing was, was this um, memorialization of, of how the ecosystem has changed over the years. And so, you know, early on in the year, we started having conversations with some of the, you know, bigger artists in the community, uh, in the NFT community, and having some conversations about like, what if we made, you know, a, a collection that was really focused on, you know, the people, the themes, and the events, and the artists that really kind of made the year in crypto so that each year we could kind of take a look back on the collection and it could be, you know, this uh, time capsule and, and this memorialization of kind of what happened and what, what the year was like in the whole crypto ecosystem. We thought that it'd be fun to collect. And, you know, a lot of the top artists in the NFT community agreed. So we created Collective uh, with its uh, first product being the Crypto 2021 set. 
So uh, we've got some of the top artists from, you know, the NFT community, including Xcopy, Nate Alex, um, you know, Baca Arts, you know, you name it. We've got some of the, the biggest names and we built a set that we kind of gave free reign to them to make something that was kind of in their style. And also we combined it with a bunch of cards from, you know, up and coming artists who did everything from, you know, self-portraits to, you know, uh, weird, quirky uh, memes and stuff like that around the, the crypto ecosystem. And, uh, you know, we, we did a pre-sale on that and uh, the response from the collecting community was, you know, really overwhelming. And we're about to launch that actually uh, over the next week or so. Super exciting. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I've loved a bunch of the, a bunch of the drops there already. Some really cool stuff that, as you say, kind of memorializes the, uh, the culture of all the things that have been going on, which is, um, which is really cool to see. Um, you know, you, you spend a lot of time building out this very clean infrastructure stack that works very smoothly. You know, you've got the sort of fiat gateways and the, the host of wallet solutions that are well streamlined for the, for sort of mainstream appeal. Um, what were some of the biggest challenges in getting there that you perhaps sort of didn't foresee to begin with? Yeah, it's a great question. Like our, our focus has always been on mass market products. Um, like on the Epics uh, app, we already have well over 170 million unique objects, um, 500,000 users. So we, we never really wanted to compromise on scale. And the other thing we didn't want to do was only focus on like a small contingent of whale spenders either. Um, so we wanted to make our products accessible. And of course, with, with crypto, that's very hard, especially back in 2017. So what we focused on doing was really, you know, building um, user flows and things like that, that made it really quick and easy for users to onboard, come into our ecosystem, and then um, start to introduce them to, you know, things like MetaMask wallets, uh, things like taking custody over your items, um, that type of stuff where, you know, other companies, I think, uh, and this is a completely valid strategy as well, but they focused really on the hardcore uh, crypto user, uh, first and foremost. Uh, and so people who needed to have MetaMask needed to have an understanding of, you know, how wallets work and how private keys work and things like that. What we did was we focused on the average user, and then we focused on how to bring them down the rabbit hole and educate them each step of the way through the product interface to make that journey kind of easy and accessible for the people that ultimately wanted to go there. And I think, you know, in five years from now, you'll be able to, uh, you know, kind of take some of these things for granted that people are going to know this stuff. But, you know, certainly three, four years ago and today, I think you, if you want to appeal to a broad, you know, casual user base or not even casual, but just mass market user base, you really need to think about these things and, and take that into account in the product. Uh, and that takes a long time and, and a lot of iteration. Totally. I mean, it really, really shows the, all the consideration you guys have put into that. I think it's uh, definitely one of the, one of the sort of sleeker experience of, experiences I've had around crypto. Um, I'm curious, I believe you guys are also planning to move uh, over towards Immutable X. Um, I wonder whether you could talk a bit about any kind of, uh, you know, scalability issues you've faced so far and maybe what sort of motivated the decision. Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, like uh, Ethereum is the chain that we've, we believe um, is going to provide the long-term best experience uh, for people. 
I, we think it's, you know, the credible neutrality of the Ethereum ecosystem, uh, the fact that the, the development team has not been willing to sacrifice um, true decentralization for short-term performance gains. We, we think that these things are, are very important. And that has led to, obviously, trade-offs in speed and uh, in cost and things like that. So things that we hit the roadblock on very early, as I said, we wanted a mass market product. So that becomes challenging when you're dealing with uh, gas fees that can easily, you know, when activity spiking, uh, you know, go over a hundred bucks for a transaction for an NFT, you know, obviously we had to take a step back and say, okay, what needs to be on chain? Number one, um, what can we build as bridges uh, to the Ethereum ecosystem? So when we started off, we actually built um, a, like a centralized system that had a bridge where you could take any of your items and you could move it onto the Ethereum layer one. So what that ended up doing was it allowed us to hit a lot of scale. Uh, and it also gave security for a lot of our rarest items. Um, so things like uh, digitally signed cards. Uh, we do cards that are signed by players. Every single card is a unique signature that we authenticate um, using you know, uh, uh, like a signature app. Um, so basically things like that, we would tokenize those on a chain because they're worth hundreds, thousands of dollars. Um, so it makes sense to spend that type of uh, cash to, to put them on chain. And it also gave our collectors the ability to take anything that was you know, very special to them, move it on chain, and also access things like OpenSea and, and other third-party marketplaces um, where they could actually take their items and, and either sell them or also display them in, in you know, third-party metaverse uh, uh, environments as well. Now, when we started looking at layer two solutions, that's when I got very excited uh, and started going down the rabbit hole um, after reading, you know, some of Vitalik's blog posts and, you know, this concept of roll-ups was just, you know, uh, super interesting for the fact that, you know, you get a lot of the benefits of scalability, but you also get the benefits of Ethereum's uh, security guarantee and also obviously, uh, you know, access into the whole uh, Ethereum ecosystem, which is just massive and, and, has the strongest developer community of any blockchain out there, bar none. So, you know, when we started going down that rabbit hole, we looked at things like obviously optimistic rollups, great for applications for fungible tokens, but for non-fungible tokens, you know, it's it's really hard because uh, it takes up to a week to actually do and process a, a withdrawal. So if somebody wanted to move their item from an optimistic rollup back onto the main chain, They'd have to wait seven days to do that. And obviously that's uh, that's not the best user experience. Um, but we started to look into ZK rollups and that really provided a lot more, um, number one, uh, speed for withdrawals and things like that. And also, you know, just a really elegant uh, security solution for, um, for doing these rollups and, and uh, authenticating transactions on the layer two. Now, you know, obviously building a layer two yourself is, is hard and you need to have a lot of uh, liquidity and, and a lot of reasons for people to bring their assets into your layer two. And so we started looking for a solution that was going to focus on that. And uh, Immutable 
was a company that we've been following for a long time with their game Gods Unchained. We've always admired, um, you know, what Robbie and his team have built uh, as far as the aesthetics and the user experience that they focus on, which obviously align uh, really well with with our uh, ethos and values as well. And so when we heard that they were doing a layer two with Starkware, obviously, you know, Starkware, uh, just a, a titan in the, the tech ecosystem uh, in the um, in the Ethereum world, we, you know, kind of jumped at the opportunity. I, I reached out to Robbie and uh, started talking and, you know, we really agreed on a lot of the major points of uh, why layer two was needed, how it should be built. And so it was a pretty quick and easy decision for us to, to jump in. I think uh, we're the first third party that's going to launch uh, on uh, Immutable. We're doing the integration and finalizing it right now. So fingers crossed, we should have that done in the next few days. And that's awesome. Exciting stuff. Exciting stuff. Yeah, I, I wonder, you know, given you've been around the space for a long time, um, you know, you mentioned your sort of mates with the early sort of wax people and whatnot. I wonder... Um, how you think about, um, you know, the sort of decentralization aspect more broadly, you know, obviously on the one hand, you know, you guys are an interface to crypto for many sort of more mainstream users. I'm sure only the more sort of savvy ones actually, you know, export the assets out of their wallets and whatnot. I mean, largely, you know, they probably don't really know or care. I, I often wonder this question, you know, sort of like whose responsibility it is to do this due diligence and to make these decisions. And, um, you know, you guys have clearly sort of gone deep there and, and, and gone sort of this route, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I often chat to a lot of projects who, um, you know, don't don't fully appreciate the sort of merits of again that sort of credible neutrality that you describe of Ethereum. I wonder whether you can uh, comment at all on on that side of things. Yeah, like uh, like I say, I, I really like the Wax guys, um, but there's a reason why we didn't build on Wax, right? Um, you know, there's I, I think a a window now where there's a, a certain level of of ignorance amongst uh, you know. <laughs> everyone in the ecosystem, right? Because it's, it's such a nascent, um, you know, world, uh, that we're in, but you've, you've got to think like long-term games, right? So, uh, ultimately when we talk to IP owners, it's an education process around, you know, what is your vision? Not only, you know, when you drop these things, uh, you know, a, a collectible or, you know, a set of trading cards, uh, you know, what do you want this to be in 10, 20, 30 years from now? When we set up uh, Epics, you know, our vision was in a hundred years from now in some uh, VR auction house in the metaverse, we want to see our items uh, auctioned like a Honus Wagner card is in Sotheby's today. Um, so that's the type of thing that we, we focus on as far as like our vision for the product. A lot of, you know, uh, people now are, are kind of jumping into projects and really focus more on just like the near term. It's on blockchain. I can say blockchain, therefore, you know, uh, don't really look under the hood and see how many people are really running validators. Who's actually managing this and what happens if that party goes away? Um, you really need to think about uh, your customer and whether they have access to use these things uh, if you were to disappear off the off the planet for some reason, right? So that's really what we focus on. We focus on the education of IP partners as far as why Ethereum is the best uh, platform to build on, has the uh, best chance of, uh, you know, real, true, long-term success, uh, and has the best chance of actually fulfilling that vision in 100 years of 
um, you know, that virtual reality auction happening and that item still being uh, being there and, and uh, having a chain of custody throughout the entire process. Awesome. I, uh, <clears throat> I love to hear it. Um, and how generally have you found the uh, reception in terms of that, um, you know, education process with some of the key IP partners that you're uh, working with? Um, do they generally, you know, does it click when you explain it pretty quickly? It does. Yeah. And, and I think that one of the things that really clicks too, and, you know, a, a lot of, and one of the reasons I think Ethereum stands out from, from other uh, projects that are kind of more centrally controlled by a company like a, a Flow or Wax is, you know, when a large game publisher wants to build, uh, you know, either a collectibles uh, product or even integrate their in-game items into, you know, a, a, a third-party platform, you know, they're really going to focus on, okay, uh, what happens if this company that I've partnered with, you know, were to go away or something like that, or, you know, can my consumers really trust that this third party is going to, you know, be, um, somebody that is neutral and is not going to, you know, take their items away or ban them or, or do things like that. Um, those are, are things that they pick up on really quickly and for companies that are more centralized, um, they have a certain level of, of you know, a trust that needs to be gained there. And I think that Ethereum already has that trust built in because it's like saying you're going to build this on the internet. It's not controlled by anyone. It's a neutral third party. And that's something that's very appealing to them once you explain the dynamics difference between the two. Mm -hmm. Totally makes sense. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you guys, uh, as you say, looks like you're going to be the sort of first third-party integration on Immutable. Um, you know, you've got brilliant sort of attention to detail on the UX side. Again, the fiat gateways, the host of wallet solutions and whatnot. Um, now you're kind of operating this sort of, don't want to flatter you, but, you know, best-in-class sort of tech stack. Um, do you have plans to sort of leverage that further beyond sort of epics and, and collective? Um, how are you thinking about that now you've, uh, you know, nailed all the hard parts? Yeah, I think that's that's a great question and and definitely something that we're, we're focused on. So we have... Uh, Kind of two sides of our business. Um, one is the, the publishing side, so that includes Epics, which is our gaming and esports focused product. Collective, which is really our hardcore, you know, kind of crypto focused product, NFT focused product. And uh, we've got some uh, partnerships as well, where we've actually partnered with third parties, including, you know, most recently the largest manufacturer of trading card games in the world. So the people who print Magic: The Gathering, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh. Uh, do a whole bunch of the distribution worldwide as well. Um, we've partnered with them to, you know, kind of leverage that tech stack and uh, go out and, and kind of approach some of the biggest IPs in the world um, to build on top of uh, the Epic stack. And we've got, uh, you know, some more partnerships uh, in, in the pipeline there as well. But uh, we've also got something that leverages our ability to kind of tie digital and physical items together. Um, that we'll be announcing over the next few weeks that I think uh, will be pretty exciting uh, for people as well. Very interesting. Very interesting. We'll have to uh, keep a keen eye on that. Um, I guess I, I'm also curious, um, sort of switching to, switching gears a bit, like how you guys, um, you know, sort of think about NFTs as a tool. Obviously, they're leveraged sort of heavily in, in, in various sort of, um, you know, platforms and experiences that you're building. Like, um, how do you and the team think about what they are as a tool and sort of how they can be leveraged and how they can be used? Yeah, I think that's that's a great question. The the I think the frontier is just opening up. 
as far as NFTs are concerned. Like the, the entire concept of being able to provide, you know, true digital ownership, provenance, uh, and also unlock things like, you know, uh, accessibility and, and, and things like that using a digital item. I think that this is going to be just a, a, a game changer. It's, it's literally going to work its way into every single aspect of our daily lives, whether that's, you know, someone playing a video game, um, you know, let's take a look at uh, two games that you have the choice of starting to play. One of them, you know, you spend uh, 10 hours grinding and you get uh, some in-game uh, let's say a mount or something like that for, you know, clearing a dungeon, you basically have that on the game server, but you can't uh, monetize it. You can't trade it. You can't sell it. You can't, uh, you don't actually own it. Another game provides you with uh, the same, you know, grinding system, everything, but they give you a mount that you actually own. And if you decide to trade it for some gold or uh, sell it to somebody else for cash or crypto, uh, you know, you can do that. And which game are, are people going to decide to play? One is infinitely better than the other one, right? As far as an opportunity is concerned. So I think number one, the, the game industry is just absolutely going to change over the next five to 10 years. It will be um, really a requirement to have uh, your in-game items, uh, you know, be NFTs. And then beyond that, um, there's a huge, huge opportunity in the, I think the music industry, in any influencer space where you can start to give NFTs to people as rewards for, you know, proof of uh, attendance. So if you go to a concert, your a ticket could be an NFT and it can give you, you know, some kind of proof of, you know, being there, which, you know, what music fan doesn't want to have like a whole catalog where they can look through all the concerts they've been to and show that off publicly to people. Um, that that's super cool. There's also, um, things like, uh, you know, golden tickets that you can use NFTs to control access to things. So one of the things we did with collective was we actually gave people, uh, who bought in the pre-sale, uh, a, a founder's card. So if you uh, bought anything during the pre-sale, you got a silver founder's card. And if you bought at least 10 packs, you got a gold founder's card. So that's basically going to be used in all of our future drops and hopefully in partnership with other, uh, you know, sites and, and collectibles platforms or, you know, metaverse uh, games and things like that. Um, that'll confer rewards to people where, you know, you'll get special access to drops, you'll get free uh, items from drops. You know, like that's a huge opportunity. Um, there, there's just so much you can do with the concept of an NFT that I think, it's literally going to uh, revolutionize almost everything in the economy from game items to uh, the way that you title your, your house or your car to you name it. We probably haven't even thought of half the applications for what you can do with it now. I love to hear it. I love to hear it, especially given you are, uh, you know, molded in the fiery depths of the uh, early skins markets and whatnot. It seems like you are sort of well positioned to comment on this stuff, given you've seen you know, the nature of digital goods uh, evolve a lot. Um, I'm curious what uh, some of the sort of interesting longer term ideas you have for how, you know, crypto and NFT is sort of permeating these virtual worlds and economies. Like, what does that look like ultimately? Um, you know, do you, have you sort of spent much time in that headspace? Wonder if you can comment. Yeah, I mean, I, I think. One of the more interesting things that we've started to, to think about 
And, you know, I, I had a friend way back in, in 2016 that's been working on this um, at a, a company called Batam Labs. They basically have, you know, they came up with this concept originally of like uh, programmable NFTs. So something that could actually have code living inside of it on chain and, you know, based on certain events in the world could uh, change its um its entire, you know, uh, status. And, and, and so things like, you know, uh, if you have a beer, uh, you know, it could sit in your wallet and it will get warm, uh, if it's hot outside and you could actually get a, a fridge in your wallet and you could put the beer in the fridge and it would get cold again, you know, different things like that, where that's a simple use case, but there's uh, really complex stuff that you could build into, you know, some of these NFTs, and really make them um, programmable. Uh, I think that's a super interesting concept that, again, you know, could end up becoming things like a really advanced version of like a Tamagotchi. Um, you know, that could be really interesting. I think this concept of portability, um, so being able to take items from one uh, metaverse to another metaverse is really interesting as well. Um, and I just think that this whole, you know, kind of, uh, experience around being able to own your items in games is really going to change what's possible in some of these games as well. Like imagine a game like, uh, you know, Eve online where, you know, it really has an economy built around it. Um, that's going to get like even more advanced as people start to build out, uh, NFT economies around future games. So uh, I, I don't know whether that's, you know, uh, on the near term horizon or not, but I think there's a lot of, you know, innovative game developers that are thinking about this stuff. And I, it would not surprise me in the next, you know, kind of three to five years to see some much more advanced games, uh, like more advanced than some of the simple um, metaverses that exist today. Uh, you know, kind of evolve and, and kind of hit the market, uh, at least in like an early alpha or pre-sale format. Mm -hmm. Totally. Super excited for it. Um, and I'm curious to what extent you kind of subscribe to this idea of, uh, you know, the metaverse, you know, are, it's, I mean, it sounds like you are, but are you of the view, you know, do you share the view that, um, you know, significant chunks of, you know, the sort of global economic activity are heading towards the sort of virtual realm? Like, is that something that you feel like, you know, you and your team members are, you know, generally aware of? And um, is that the sort of potentiality you guys subscribe to? Absolutely. I think, you know, we've seen like having been in the games industry since, um, the early 2000s, having played games uh, all through my life as a kid, you know, you see the the fidelity um, becoming uh, higher and higher over time. Like when you put on a VR headset for the first time now, um, it, it's a, an interesting experience because you see two kind of um, interesting points during the experience when you watch someone do that for the first time. Number one, uh, you see them really kind of shocked and amazed by their experience once they get into the world, right? They actually see things coming at them. They actually feel present in a digital environment. And then the second thing you see, which I think is interesting, is when the person takes off that headset, because they have kind of the same, you know, experience of leaving a digital world and then coming back into the real world. And you see that in someone's face the, the first time they use it. Now, 
these are technologies that are, are growing at an exponential rate as far as you know the processing power and with the capabilities that the hardware can give you you know it, it's only a matter of time before the fidelity is to a point where people are going to really enjoy expending uh, spending time in digital environments and on top of that you know there's a whole bunch of societal factors i think too that will push more and more people into you know having the free time to spend in these types of environments as well um, just with the rise of AI and you know how that's going to affect the labor market and things like that, I think that everything is going to converge and really push this uh, towards an environment where uh, we as human beings, for maybe for better or worse, uh, spend a lot of our time in in as Bitcraft puts it, synthetic realities um, that are you know kind of uh, built on top of the the technology that's really being laid down today. Totally. It's uh, an exciting world to be heading towards. Um, uh, it sounds like you've yeah, thought a lot about this stuff. I wonder whether there's sort of something you feel might be sort of unique that you believe about the metaverse that many are either sort of unaware of or would probably disagree with. Ah, interesting. So I have um, maybe a disagreement with some people about what the metaverse will ultimately become, because I think that the odds that there's one overarching um, kind of place like a, you know, ready player one uh, where one company or one entity kind of controls a single metaverse that everyone uh, interacts in. I, I really don't think that that's the likely outcome in my mind. I kind of see uh, a future emerging where there's a whole bunch of, you know, kind of focused metaverses where there's subcultures and genres and things like that, where if you want to live in, you know, medieval uh, Europe in, you know, the 1100s, you can go and do that, right? And there's a whole feudal economy built up that you can participate in. Uh, or if you want to live in a, you know, cyberpunk, um, you know, kind of environment, you can go and do that too. I think that the metaverse is really going to cater to the different personality types of human beings. And I think that's going to be a really good thing because it's going to allow people to exist in an environment that really fits with their unique personality. And I think that's going to be really interesting. Absolutely. Excited for it. You can definitely find me in the cyberpunk world. Um, we'll see. We'll see how that turns <laughs> out. Um, uh, what is something that has become clear to you since you sort of embarked on your crypto journey um, that you wish you'd known before? I think, uh, you know, I, I wish I had really kind of, I think that if I could go back and tell myself in, you know, 2015, 2016, 2017, to really just um, dive in more. Like I, I, I feel like I've, I've been in the, in the, the thick of a lot of stuff in the crypto ecosystem, but I think the more you learn about it, the more you get into it, the more you see the applications of it, the more of a believer you become. And I think that, uh, I, I just wish that I would have kind of dove in headfirst, uh, even sooner and, and really, uh, bought in wholeheartedly even sooner, especially in the the Ethereum ecosystem. I think, you know, as uh, competitors emerged in you know 2017, whether that was like EOS or you know some of the other competing layer one chains, Tron and, and things like that. Um, you know, 
I started to look into those different ecosystems and we spent a lot of time kind of evaluating uh, different layer ones and competing chains just because we were concerned that Ethereum may not, you know, get over that scalability um, uh, hurdle and, and kind of roadblocks that they're facing. So uh, ultimately, I would say just like jump in uh, wholeheartedly into the Ethereum ecosystem because I think it's really got a lot of legs and, and it's really going to change the world. Love to hear it. Love to hear it. Um, heading into the closing questions now, uh, and perhaps the most important of the entire podcast so far, what is your favorite video game ever? Favorite video game ever? Oh man, Total War, for sure. Nice, yeah. nice. Great Anything pick. from the Total War series, like uh, Rome, um, at, you know, just, I love those medieval and and like period piece uh, strategy uh, war games. They're, they're awesome. Very cool. It's uh yeah, good, good, good taste. Um, beyond games, well, could be games too. But um, what is the most impactful digital experience you've ever had? I would say the first time I tried, uh, you know, the new generation of VR headsets. Um, the first time I, I used an Oculus, and uh, they had set it up at a game developers conference when they were first doing the initial um, kind of rollout of the marketing. Uh, they did a, a test with Hawken. And if you remember Hawken, it's, it's like a mech game, right? And it's kind of the perfect demo of, of that kind of VR because it's, you know, you get into your mech and as soon as you put the, the uh, VR glasses on, you can see the inside of the, you know, kind of the mech. You can see the controls, you can see everything. And then as you move, it's, it's kind of relatively slow, right? It's not fast moving. So you actually get the experience that you're moving slowly throughout the environment. And to me, that was just like the first time I really ever felt transported to a new location immediately as soon as I put the headset on. And I was actually part of a video game, which was to me absolutely mind-blowing. And I think that, you know, changed the, the trajectory of my feelings about the future of VR and, and just the potential of, of digital worlds uh, in general. Very cool. Yeah, I love it. Do you uh, continue to use VR uh, to this day? I, I mean, I um, feel like a lot of us keep talking about it. I want to organize more stuff in VR. I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. Yeah, actually, you know, we, we have, uh, so our team's all remote, uh, but we had an office in, in the UK where we had a, a Vive uh, set up that we'd use, you know, a, a fair amount, uh, there, but my wife and I kind of travel and, and live remote. So it's hard to lug around a, a whole VR, uh, setup, but, uh, definitely looking at, uh, you know, as all the new kind of uh, sets come out, we, we try and, uh, get them for the office so that we can try them out and, and stay at the, uh, the kind of forefront of it. I must say, even the Quest 2, which is incredibly cheap and ultra portable and obviously doesn't need any cumbersome hardware is like, it's getting pretty scarily good already. Um, you know, they're doing like software updates that massively boost. You know, they've just unlocked 120 hertz on it. You've now got finger tracking stuff. May well be suited to your, uh, you know, more more mobile setup. Um, and I'm sure the, the Quest 3 won't be too far away either. So perhaps look into that. Um, finally, out of all the books you've read, uh, which one has, re has resonated with you the most? Out of all the books I've read? Oh, man, that's, that's, uh, that's a big question. Um, Let's see, out of all the books I've read, which one has resonated with me the most? Um, let's see here. I, you know, my, my, my mind immediately goes to um, kind of a, a you know, uh, 
a recent book that I read, um, the Almanac of Naval Ravnikant. Uh, so basically, it's a collection of his sayings and, and different, um, you know, Navalisms. And that's kind of, uh, I'd say, the most recent book that I read that I really enjoyed. Um, and there's also uh, Stillness is a Key. Um, that's that's a great book as well. Uh, another recent one that I've read. Um, yeah, I, I can't think of one book that I could really kind of pin down as like the most uh, impactful for me because I, I love to read and, and I love to kind of learn new stuff from other people who have been there and, and done things. So it's hard to kind of pin it down. Mm-hmm. I'll, uh, I'll have to check out Stillness is the Key. Um, on the the Naval on Naval's almanac one, um, Anil of Delphi actually uh, prescribed that as a obligatory reading for the whole team, which is good fun. Um, so familiar with that one, it was great. Um, yeah, I wonder, uh, you know, for those sort of listening, where's the best place for them to kind of uh, you know follow along and and, and keep up uh, with all the cool stuff that you guys are doing? Um, yeah. Yeah, we're uh, my Twitter handle is at Mark Dono, M-A-R-K-D-O-N-O. Uh, our Epics uh, Twitter handle is at Epics GG, and uh, our collective one is at Collective. Uh, so you and K uh, Collective with a K-O-L-E-C-T-I-V. So uh, follow us there. So a good, uh, good crypto spelling there. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, hey, you gotta, you gotta take uh, whatever domains are left uh, after the uh, on, on web two anyway. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, Mark, it's been a pleasure. Um, really enjoyed chatting with you, and yeah, looking forward to following along and um, keeping an eye on the uh, upcoming uh, digi physical stuff that you alluded to earlier. Excited to see what that holds. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Pierce. Appreciate it.